All right, welcome to Horror Dads, episode three. You're joined by your host, John and... Jamie. <laughs> What's up, man? Jamie. What's up, buddy? God. Episode three, man. Can't believe it. I know. We're cruising along. It's going to be a good one, too. Yeah, this one's super, super exciting. Um, we're excited. Very, very fortunate to be joined today by a very special guest, uh, Jay Bonansinga. He is a New York Times bestselling author of the Walking Dead novels. Oh, man. Super excited. Yeah. One of the most humble dudes we've had an opportunity to talk to. Super. Uh, just, oh, you guys are going to love him. Just great geeking out with someone over horror, and, and he's an awesome dude. Um, but before we jump into great that, interview. Uh, just a couple, of, you know, just general things. Happy Valentine's Day, buddy. Yeah. Love is in the air. Love is in the air. Two dads love each Watching other. my bloody Valentine. Yep. That's what we got on the in the background here. The my, OG. Uh, yeah. I got that Scream Factory release. We just threw that in. 1981. Good flick. Um, so back to Jay. One thing we definitely want to mention is his most recent novel, which is called Self Storage. Fantastic book. Uh, anyone that's not read it, please make an effort to grab a, a copy of that. We'll make sure we go ahead and post where you can snag a copy of any of his current or past works. He's currently in the process of uh, trying to get that, that book made into a film. And he sent me sort of a, a deck with like mood boards and different things like that, which is which is pretty neat to see. Um, so best of luck uh, in that endeavor, and we definitely hope to to see that that's realized into to motion picture for sure. Oh yeah, that would be amazing. So James, how are the kids, man? How's everything? Oh yeah, so good. Good. Everything is on the up and up. You know we uh we got a cat here in the Schuler household. We did. What's his name? Oh, his name is Deputy Dewey. I love the scream. And, you know, I have um, my fat cat is Sydney Prescott. Yeah, and I was hoping to get another uh, girl to name her Tail Weathers. Yeah. But uh, Brittany was fighting me on that. We've been talking about that for like five years. Yeah. Did uh, your oldest daughter Finley like the name at first? No. She wanted Rainbow Cupcake, I think, was the initial <laughs> ask. So... I won out, though, and Deputy Dewey's here. Good. I'm glad you won. The other name would have been awkward to say constantly. Yeah. So, James, what are you wearing, buddy? I have the Gutter Garbs Halloween title screen t-shirt. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. So, what was it, like two or three years ago we went to the drive-in movie theater here uh, in Youngstown? Yeah. The Warren Drive-In. I think we went and saw Halloween 2018, right? Well, the year before, they played the original and part five or something, like back-to-back. -back. Remember? <laughs> it, it, it was like four. a random... It, yeah, was it was like four. four, yeah. And then the next year, we went and One they and played four. the original... Halloween 2018, and it was followed by something else. We had to leave. It was pouring down. Yeah, it was so rainy. But it was something like really cool. That... But I feel like you got that shirt right before we went. I did, yeah. yeah that was cool. Well, I, I have the very original Cavity Killers purchase on today. Which is the, the first cavity color shirt you ever purchased? Yeah, I got it for really? like five ninety nine flash sale back in probably like twenty. Oh, is this the Let's Get Spooky? Yes, nice. The man. Let's Get Spooky. I, I have one of the newer variations of that. Yeah, you have like the purple the one. Halloween, I've got the yeah. orange, which is literally oh. looks like a. This, this is worn it's to that, hell. Yeah, that. Yeah. I think you described it Piece as toilet, toilet paper. paper. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what other merch you seen lately? I know that Cavity Killers released those joggers, which are pretty awesome. Yeah, those joggers are badass. I didn't get any, but 
super cool. And uh, so our friend, our mutual friend, Bill Fowl, was explaining that Holy Mountain printing, which was yeah. pretty neat. Uh, so checked out that site. Those those guys have some awesome stuff. It's mostly like one color print, like more black and black and white, but um, super more simplistic. Yeah, yeah. They had this thing, uh, uh, thing T-shirt on there, which is really really cool. So super oh, into that. Anything thing related, give that to me. So we recently had a um, conversation with the dudes over at Nostaljunk Podcast too. Um, those guys are really, really awesome. They asked if we wanted to collaborate real quick on a show they were doing. They were covering kind of like, uh, toys from, from back in the day. So we talked about a lot of stuff from back in the past. Yeah. Those guys do like top five lists. Yeah. And, uh, I think their topic this week was top five toys. Yeah. So they were talking about like skippets and Tamagotchis and stuff, which was pretty cool. Yeah. It was really fun, you know, kicking it back to that stuff you forgot about. Yeah, we talked to them for the a long time. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, those guys are really awesome. Really awesome. So check out that podcast, and I think we'll be making a guest appearance on... The Canadians. A, yeah, they were making fun of us. because Our neighbors our, up north. Our, <laughs> we thought we had a lot of snow. Well, in yeah. all fairness, we got... <clears throat> it was like an inch in 30 minutes. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, well, we haven't left our driveways yeah. in a while, so... <laughs> But super good dudes, so check out that podcast uh, if you have the opportunity. Oh, and I finally got Edge of the Axe. I did it. Oh, yeah. I got it for Valentine's Day. Oh, shit. So I owe Jamie. Yeah, we have to talk about this. So I lost a bet. Pay up. Yeah, so I have paid up. Loser. Uh, you haven't gotten it yet. No, I have not. But I have paid up. I bought Jamie what Knight of the Comet uh, for my Super Bowl oh, loss. Thanks, man. Yeah. Love that movie. I've been listening to that soundtrack for like the past two weeks. <laughs> My wife is like, what is this 80s shit? What are you making breakfast yeah, of, like, what? synthesizer? What's <laughs> exactly. happening in here? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's for you, buddy. So keep your eye out in the mail. My uh, two-year-old just loves it, though. Yeah. You should see the way he dances to this. <laughs> so we are going to talk about zombies today, though. Um, in, yeah, we are. In light of our conversation with Jay, which is fantastic. But before we, we dive into our interview with Jay... And we discuss uh, some of Jay's favorite zombie movies. We thought we would mention a few of ours that we don't discuss in depth. Yeah, because we kind of focus on his uh, three favorite. Yeah, I think they're not in any particular order. We just we talk about three that he really likes. So uh, just for the sake of time, we just had him pick three. Yeah. So we'll just quickly mention some. So James, of our favorites. What are some of yours? Um, like Night of the Comet, we already discussed. Night of the Comet. I, love it. I just, it's it's a simplistic film. There's not much to it, but goddamn, do I love it. I I also, Night of the Creeps, we'll stick with the Night of, um, and then Night of the Living Dead, obviously, yep. which we touch upon. Um, I revisited, while we were researching for this episode, I revisited Zombie, you know, full cheese. Oh, yeah. Lucio Fulci Zombie. I don't know where my copy of that is. I'm looking on my shelf. I don't see it. Like, I, it's been it's gone. It's streaming right now, I believe, on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I don't know where mine yeah, went. Yeah, it is. 28 it is. Days Later. Good one. Oh, yeah. Classic. What else? I, I went back to Shaun of the Dead. Oh, dude. So good. <laughs> so that good. Movie, man. Um, and then, what else? Train to oh, Busan, which we talked Train about Got last us. episode. Yeah. I know a couple of our friends were like, oh, we jumped on that. Yeah, everyone's like, ah, I didn't know you liked that movie so much. And we were like, well, we didn't either, but apparently we do. So, you know, it's great movie. We we honestly don't get enough time to watch new movies. 
It's always like part of the purpose the for this podcast. Before bed. Yeah. You know, that's essentially what our horror watch. You, by the time you get the kids to bed, you're putting a movie on at 10 p.m. Good night. Oh, I have to mention one cut of the dead. Yeah, yeah. This is also streaming on Shutter. Guys, get on this movie. It's a Japanese film. It is from 2017. This is one of my... I, I just saw this like three weeks ago. And it's one of my favorite movies I've seen in the past probably year. It is a little bit scary. Super funny. And it's unexpected. It takes you places you really didn't see it coming for, at the beginning. Um, you know, it's like a hack director gets hired to shoot this one-cut zombie film. Like a 40-minute film or whatever. Um, and it just hilarity ensues. It does have some, you know, it's a little bit scary throughout. Like I thought it was in over like three or four times. It's like, oh, this movie's over already. And then, oh, like, I'm watching oh, you know, Face Off of, yeah. uh, with John Travolta, <laughs> right. and <laughs> but goes yeah, on forever. You guys have to check that one out. One cut of the dead. All right, so we're gonna jump into our interview now with Jay. We have a little nuance to our intro, which uh, only took. So if I was hired to do one cut with. Uh, my daughter on this intro, I would have been fired immediately because oh, this yeah, took no like chance. 55 cuts, but we got her to do an introduction. Bribery. And yeah. So enjoy. Guilt. This is going to be a great episode. Happy Thank Valentine's you guys. Day, everybody. Welcome to Horat. So, welcome to episode three of uh, Horror Dads. We are joined uh, today, very, very luckily, by a New York Times bestselling author, um, Jay Bonansinga, who has authored a good deal of the um, the Walking Dead novels. So, Jay, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm, you know, this is one, you know, probably one of my top five things to do after like eating and having sex is talking (laughs) (laughs) well we are seriously just thrilled and humbled to have you here um yeah jay we're honored to have you in here man thank you man it's my honor it's my pleasure so we uh we queued up a bunch of of fun questions but you know as is sort of the nature of our podcast we're gonna let the uh the conversation flow and and not not be scripted about things so um and talking to you prepping for this, it's it seems like that's definitely the culture, and we're super excited to to sort of dive into some of this. Yeah, stuff. we're just hanging out, so feel free to just shoot the shit, Jay. Cool. Well, I have to say, I love, I just love the title Horror Dads, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I you. am totally a horror dad. Perfect. I, I, I mean, you know, uh, if I had to, you know, do a personal business card, I think it would say Horror Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was our, <laughs> our plan. But, you know, and I have to say one thing that popped into my brain when I heard uh, the, you know, your podcast's name, I, I thought, well, <laughs> I've had so many experiences with my kids that revolve around horror and, and scaring and not scaring and being afraid and wanting to be afraid and not wanting to be afraid. And, and you know, um, but I remember uh, it wasn't that long ago. My kids right now are, are mm-hmm. 19 and 21. Um, and, uh, it wasn't that long ago, but it was way, it was back when they were maybe, you know, like, uh, freshman and sophomore in high school. Um, they, you know, they were super cool hipster kids and they're like, <laughs> dad, dad, do you, do you got any old 
horror films that are like, you know, still scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, ah, uh, you came to the right place. Yeah, you, know? you have no idea what Do you're I? asking for here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my first thought was, and I and I showed them the first thing I showed them was Halloween, the original John Carpenter Halloween. So great oh, yeah. to start Perfect. with, yeah. And I, I, you know, I love the film. I know John Carpenter, you know, uh, casually. You know, I've met him. Uh, you know, I've learned what a great guy he is. He's just, he's one of the great, you know, just one of the sweetest people. Yep. And um, I thought for sure they would go, you know, yeah, that rocked. That was, and they, they were like, oh, my God, Dad, that was so lame. Oh, what? no. What? Really? Yeah. And well, I and uh, you know in in retro uh, over the years I've come to the conclusion that film is so seminal it's so influential that they have seen it yeah. over and over and over again. Yep. yep. You know, and and so you know I'm like I'm like uh, okay can I can I have another chance and they're like yeah yeah you got what do you got what <laughs> another <about>? chance <laughs> you know so then I selected. Uh, the Exorcist. Oh yeah, how did they respond this, to that this one? Yeah. Scare these kids, nothing will. <laughs> you know, they're just jaded, and the, if this doesn't scare them, I, I give up. You, you know, um, and so I screened it for them, and it terrified them. Oh, good. Yeah, In fact, go. they had two of their friends over. One of their friends couldn't watch it. You know, I it, it was it was like maybe an hour into the movie, I I was in another part of the house and I I come down to the kitchen and he's sitting at the, in the kitchen. They're they're in another room watching the movie and I'm like, are, are you okay, Joel? You, you all right? And and he's like, yeah, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just uh, yeah, I had to check out. I I, I couldn't watch it. Uh, I have allergies yeah, you know. in my eyes. My eyes are watering. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, roughly yeah. what age was that that you uh, introduced those two films to them? I guess it. I'm. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I think they were like fourteen and sixteen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. That's probably about the time that I saw The Exorcist the first time too. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 also I, I didn't. I I, I was not. I had no agenda. I wasn't wasn't making any point. I just thought, well, what what other film? You know, if they didn't, if Halloween didn't scare them, um, and and you know, I had theories on why it didn't. I'm like, what? What other film from that era could I what show could them that yeah. scared them? You know, and and all, and the, the only one I could think of was was The Exorcist. You know, the you know William Peter Blatty. You know, uh, Friedkin. It's 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 a masterpiece. It's, oh it's, yeah, yeah. That film really is. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully written. It's well acted. It's just it's yeah. it's great. Mm-hmm. And it's scary as hell. So there's that too. It's so still so scary. It's so still you... scary. You didn't go in there with malicious intent, like, all right, you guys want to be scared? I got, I got one. I'll for scare you. the shit out of you. <laughs> I did, kind of. Okay, <laughs> all right, perfect. I'm like, was yeah. your wife like, "What the hell were you doing, Jay?" <laughs> yeah. So, Jay, let me ask you. I, I, I think I did have a chip on my shoulder after they badmouthed, you know, my my man Carpenter. I'm yeah, like, like how okay. dare you? Yeah. I'll scare okay. the shit out of you. I'll make <laughs> your friend cry. All right. <laughs> right. So, um. So for for you, when did your interest in horror start? Was it early on, like around that age, or was it later in life? It was early on. It was early on. I I it probably was. Everything is visual for me, um, and and I 
I, I use that in my work. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm not a literary quote unquote type figure. You know, I'm not, I, I didn't go to the Iowa writers workshop, you know, um, I, I, I got a, you know, a bachelor's in English and then I got a, I, I went to film school and, um, but I ended up primarily being a novelist, but I, I, I'm completely visual. I'm, I, I fell in love with horror um, at a young age, much younger than 14 and 16. I was, I was more like, you know, 11, 10, 11. And I went to this bookstore in Peoria, Illinois, where I grew up and, um, it was called B Dalton's long gone, but you know, you guys might even remember it, but, uh, I go into B B Dalton's and, um, and I had not encountered any, you know, literary horror, horror on, on the page. Um, you know, uh, other than just scary TV shows by that point. But I walk in and I see these books with like, you know, um, sort of cadaverous looking faces on them with their skulls breaking open and worms coming out of them. <laughs> and was it full cheese zombie know, or something? Of course. That, it was, it, you know what it was? It was a series of reprints of HP Lovecraft books. Uh, oh, beautiful. Yeah. And, then, yeah. as, and that's, that was the first thing I started reading. I, I, I started reading all the different, you know, all the Cthulhu mythos stories, like by Robert Block and August Derleth and, 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 of course, Lovecraft himself, you know. But I started reading all, the, all those stories and everything, and that's what got me into horror, you know, that I, 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 I you know, pretty quickly started branching out into, like, Ray Bradbury and, you know— um, yeah, natural, yeah. natural line of progression there. Yeah. See, you know, exactly. You know, like, like Lovecraft is definitely, a uh, for me. And I think for a lot of people, he's like a gateway drug. Oh God. Like, yeah. Like, yep. he, you know, it's not, it's not the best writing in the world and he was kind of racist and, and, you know, he kind of was a little creepy himself, you know, and just, and it's just like, it, it's, it's slathered with adjectives and adverbs. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it was his willingness to tackle like concepts and topics that were just so otherworldly that it was like, man, this is so interesting because literally no one else is doing this. Right. Oh, he was he, he I I definitely agree. I you know, Lovecraft was a genius in his in his his narrow little sort of, you know, uh, um area of literature. He was kind of a genius because his whole his whole gestalt was, you know, there's this horrifying huge monolithic hellish other world yeah. and it's separated by a thin tissue you know it's easy to just break through and, and you know this really resonated i think for people in the 20th century the 20th century was a horrifying century you know and, and i think it just really resonated in the 20s and 30s when he you know he first started writing these these stories and you know, he influenced so many writers, you know, over the years. There's just no denying he was a genius. Oh, yeah, and filmmakers as well. It, it's amazing mm-hmm. that filmmakers have even been able to adapt his work to make it something watchable because, like, when you read his stuff, it's like, well, there's no way you could yeah, bring this no to way you film. Could, yeah, yeah, make this a, a, a yeah, motion picture. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. You, you, there's, there are, you know, there, there are uh, famous adaptations you know, of, of his work, but you're spot on to me. It's the same reason why 
a lot of Stephen King adaptations fall short oh, for people. They do. They're so hit or, hit you or know, miss. I mean, and he's he's one of my favorite yeah. writers for sure. And I think Jamie and I have both read so, tons and tons of his books and seen so many of his movies and collect them. But uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah, me too. A, a lot me of too. times it I mean, falls but, short. But yeah, he, Stephen King's books are so wonderful for me, in my opinion, because of their voice the voice that you can't capture visually it's it's not a it's not a visual voice it's a it's a voice for the ear it's a voice you know for the for for the for the uh you know the the limbic brain you know you you recognize these sure. characters they they're real people they're you know i think king himself said one time he writes about ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances yeah you know and you it's just it's there's not a visual analog for much of King's work. It's all internal. It's all, you know, he even invented that sort of internal stream of consciousness description where, you know, the the little boy in the shining is like, you know, he, you know, he turned a corner, you know, red rum in yeah, parentheses, yeah, yeah. <laughs> turned another corner, you know, kill, you know, he in in parentheses, you know. That there's no visual analog for that. No, you and, know, it's, 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 and you it's can interpret I, it. I think, and, you know, people go to his movies and they're like, "Oh man, I love the book," but you know, <laughs> it's hard to it's hard yeah. to bundle it up. Um, so, yeah. so it seems like a lot of these uh, these folks are your inspiration for writing. So, absolutely, when you when you entered the the space of of realizing like, "Hey, I want to do this for a career," um, was it was it these guys that like made you realize like, "Hey, I want horror to be." the genre that that I write within or uh was it was it other things like what what brought you there to create that that's kind a of content? really great you know what that's that's a actually that's a really great question because you know like I I'm come I come from a family of musicians and um you know my kids are musicians that's what they're studying in school um you know every you know my current wife is like a music fanatic she knows more about music than any human I've ever met um, and she's a Wilco f- fangirl. She, she just Wilco <laughs> lives and breathes Wilco. Yeah. You know, it's like her, her breakfast, lunch and di- <laughs> dinner. Um, but you know, like, uh, they say the instrument that you end up playing, you don't choose it. It chooses you. Yeah. It's like yeah. Harry Potter. The one chooses a yeah. wizard. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so true that, uh, you know, yeah, we could go off on a tangent about Harry Potter too, um, which I love. And that might I be our next uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's like almost another podcast. Exactly. Potter dad, Harry dads. Yeah, but, but that that metaphor, you know, that's why Harry Potter resonates so much with people because those metaphors mean something to people. They're like, yeah, that's how I feel personally. I will say that's how I feel about horror. Like it chose me. I, it, I I was just in that bookstore right as they brought in a new, you know, bunch of reprints of Lovecraft and they had those, you know, lurid covers, <laughs> you know, and it chose me. And I felt that way when I was in, in college, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm, you know, it, th- to some extent, horror writers are autodidacts, like we teach ourselves because it's a little bit like being a stand-up c- comedian. Like you you have to be afraid of your own shadow to be a good horror writer. You have to be really full of fear and phobias and stuff to really, it's not nothing. There's no rules and, and it's not necessary. You know, there's no, but I find that it's 
you know, it's it's part and parcel for, for being a horror writer. You, 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 you must have that kind of neurotic personality. Um, that's really, that's beautiful to hear just because uh, we as, as, as parents that are into this to the degree that we are, it's sometimes it's like the external culture makes you feel like you should be ashamed of it. Yeah, it's almost. like, am I a creep? Yeah, am I a creep? Like, and, right. and it's just, it's right. so, it's, it's cool to hear that. And especially with a lot of the work that, that you write in the, in the realm that you write within, um, the, the, the zombie world, it's like identity is such a factor and in, in all of, uh, what it is that you, that you work on. And I feel like we're living that on a daily basis. It's like, Hey, this is, this is the reality of the world. And, and should I, should I be ashamed of my, um, uh, of my passions and the things I care about so much. And the, and the answer is obviously, you know, as we've grown up and had, had kids of our own to take care of and kids of our own to teach, the answer is, is, is very obviously, no, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. And you should, you should own what, what has selected you. So that's, that's really yeah, cool to hear. Yeah. 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 You should own it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, it, horror goes through cycles, obviously where, you know, it's kind of out of fashion and then it comes back in, into fashion like it has recently in recent years, you know, with The Walking Dead and American Horror Story and Get Out, all these milestones that have, you know, uh, it's all about money at the end of the day. So, you know, if, if it starts Commodity. making money again, it's like, oh, horror is respectable. Oh, you're a horror writer. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, perfect. We're going to talk about Dawn money. of the Dead a little bit later. So there's gonna, that theme's going to come up again. Um but but speaking of Romero, uh, I, you know, <clears throat> prepping for this uh, interview, I, you know, I divulged to you uh, a very innocent story that you very patiently and kindly listened to about the time I was reading a a uh, anthology book called Knights of the Living Dead, and I was explaining to you that it was shortly after Romero had died, and I was sitting on my couch reading it, and my wife came in, and I was tearing up, and she was asking me yeah. what was wrong with me. Um, <laughs> and and the intro is just so uh, beautifully written by uh, Romero and Jonathan Mayberry also has a, a piece to the intro, right? And, uh, and w you patiently listened to me tell this story and thanked me for sharing it with you. And then um, then you then you kindly asked you're like, well, you did real realize that I uh, contributed <laughs> contributed a story to that, right? And I was like, shit, I read it twice and I. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even connect it, and uh, I have a copy of it sitting right here. Really, really love this. That's so amazing. If, if yeah. anyone hasn't checked this out, uh, this is a really cool book. But, Jay, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your relationship with uh, George Romero? I know that's something that's really sure. part of you. Yeah, we all want to hear about this. It, it You know, just I, I'll go back to my, my uh, sort of prime directive is to uh, always work visually. I work from, from, you know, it's, everybody has their own method. Like I said, everybody has their own process. Everybody's different. There's no rules, but for me, it's always visual. I start visual. I work vis visually when I'm writing a narrative. And when I grew up, I sort of discovered things visually. Like I, I, my, the next thing after I discovered those books with the worms crawling out of the skulls was, uh, the Twilight Zone and Rod Serling. And, oh, yeah. And that spoke to me, but it was purely visual. I, 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 I'll never forget some of those images. I, I, they live with me, for, you know, they live, they have lived all my life in my, you know, back brain. And, and then from that moment, I, I, the, you know, original Night of the Living Dead came out in 68. And, uh, 
I was I was nine years old, and I snuck into the theater. Uh, and it's not like apocryphal. This is actually I can give you the address of the theater. It was the Palace Theater in Peoria, Illinois. And I snuck in, and I saw this thing, and it it really put the zap on my head. I mean, mostly because uh, I'd never seen anything with a, a super downbeat ending. Even even those old horror films that I loved before I encountered that, like the yeah. Hammer horror films, you know, it was sort of like there's almost like a, an archetype of, you know, putting the genie back in the bottle, putting the monster, you know, back in the, you know, burning it up. In, that was kind of yeah. the, their function yeah. uh, in that time. Like even the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is one of my favorite um, of, of that generation, I guess the, the original cut they did. Um, main character is ending uh, on the highway saying like, no, we're, we're screwed basically. And they're like, oh, we're, we're going to need to clean that up. Like we can overcome this. We're the United States. Like the red right. scare is something that will not defeat us. You know, the whole exactly. the blob concept. So yeah, exactly. it was almost like propaganda. It, it may have been, you know, also partially because like a lot of those early horror films uh, and, and horror novels, including like, you know, Stoker's Dracula and, and, you know, you could go way back to like the Victorian era. They were all about, you know, the other sort of the the monster, the thing that threatens us from the outside. And, and you know, um, it was certainly true for Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know, it was the communists, you know, yeah, yep. it was, it was all, always, you know, the things that threatens us from the outside. And at the end of the movie or the book, order is restored. You know, it's sort of like, we'll, don't worry, you know, we, we'll take, we'll, we'll, we'll overcome, you know, the, the horde that's about to attack us until I saw the ending of Night of the Living Dead, George yeah. Romero's first film. I mean, to me, you know, it was about everything. It was, it wasn't just horror. It was about everything it was about human nature it was about how we're all you know we all suck we're all you know uh flawed our our society is messed up we're in vietnam at the time you know um nixon was you know being busted shortly after that everything was going you know upside down and and that movie was so powerful for a nine-year-old you know i i was like really messed up by that film but in the best possible <laughs> way in the best yeah. possible way from that moment on when you know uh dwayne jones i think was the name of the actor um the african-american great actor he yep. was oh yeah amazing. so good he was so good and and for years, George always told people, you know, I wasn't making a statement about race or anything. He was just the best actor I knew. Yeah, we were actually <laughs> you know? just having a conversation we were just about this about that, yeah. the night before last. Yeah, that's yeah. But George did, you know, over the years, revise his sort of standard answer to that. Though I noticed, I, I you know, by the time I I got to know George and became a friend and and worked with him and a colleague, you know, he sort of started saying, you know, admitting. Yeah, you know, I knew it was gonna. I knew it was gonna be, uh, you know, uh, thematic. I knew it was gonna be powerful and and negative, and I was gonna get shit, and I was gonna, you know, but it was gonna be meaningful. You know, he started saying stuff like that. It, it, you know, years later, revealing more as time passed. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, good for him. I mean, you know, you don't you don't want to prescribe to audiences what your 
you know, movie is about, you know, what it means, the meaning of the movie, you know, it's most of the viewer, it should be. Yeah. Yeah. There's supposed to be Rorschach tests, yep. you know, they're supposed to be, you know, um, you know, so interpreted by where, you know, the viewer, but, um, but George, yeah, I mean, the, he became this God to me. I mean, really when I was a kid, like it, after, uh, you know, I saw that he became like this mysterious, he became my Orson Welles, basically. He was he was just a genius to me. It was I was so blown away many years later when I had an opportunity to meet him and then even work with him. You know, that was just it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. And, oh, and I can imagine, that, yeah. That, you know, that progression of influences in my life. You know, George. Yeah. I mean, every uh, you know, I get asked all the time. You can imagine, you know, uh, fast moving zombie or slow moving zombie. You know, it's yeah. become yeah. like you know, yeah. the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, it's that um, standard I, question. <laughs> yeah, but but I always say, um, that, you know, uh, slow moving zombie. Of course, you know the fast moving zombie. They're fun. They're entertaining. They're scary, um, but they're not. They don't work uh, truly as a metaphor that the that the slow moving zombie works as. You know, they don't they don't have the same resonance as the slow moving zombie. You know, because yeah, the, it's more the, deliberate the, and pointed. And there's yeah yeah it's, and I feel like we've started to evolve into a culture a little bit of, of the of the fast moving zombie. And I think it's important to kind of like along the way, preserve that, um, the association with that, that slow moving mentality. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, uh, and of course, you know, uh, sometimes people push me to get more, you know, specific and I'm like, well, um, and I won't, I won't go off, you know, on a tangent about it, but, uh, it does, it is really important to me that they're slow moving, for so many reasons, but one of the most important reasons is the modern world and how the zombie works today in the modern world. Because there's all these, we're so sheltered today with social media and everything. Everything, you know, the wars and the terrorism seems like it's far flung. It's over in the Middle East. It can't really hurt us, but yeah. it is a little disturbing, and it gives us little cognitive dissonance, you know. But 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 it's it's distant. Yeah, we're know? so insulated and from it. Yeah, we're so insulated. Exactly. And to me, the zombie represents that. The zombie is like, you know, you can outrun a zombie if you have decent cardio. You know, you can pretty much, <laughs> pretty much outrun it. It's, it's not not a big threat. That's, That's the, the zombie land rule. Yeah, yeah. yeah get get yeah. in front of it. You you have the capability. It's Keep up your to cardio you. up. Yeah, get that Peloton bike. You're gonna need it, bud. <laughs> Um, what Jay? What uh, what did you work on with George? Uh, I, I worked like, on an did you adaptation get with him? of my first published novel, which was called The Black Mariah. It came out in 1993. It's on Warner Books. It's it's still available in the digital form. Um, you can so still. So that was your first it. novel, was it The Black Mariah? Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, yeah, we were on the fast track. I mean, I was really lucky. I came up with this crazy idea. And it was just kind of an it was kind of an over the top kind of uh, high concept kind of idea, but it was it was very simply it was about a couple of cross country truckers, truck drivers, uh, a man and a woman, a, a black man and a Jewish woman, and um, 
it became about race in a way, but it was about the, these these two people who were you know the main characters, and they had a kind of a begrudging, uh, you know, uh, you know, unrequited love for each other, and they they were uh, they were they were infected by a curse um, yeah. that prevented them from coming to a stop, and if they if they stopped, they would get violently ill, and if they stayed motionless, they would burst into flames and, oh, and oh, wow. burn up. So this sounds amazing. Very, yeah, yeah, it's a very, like, it's it, a fascinating... It was, t- yeah. Like Speed Meets Joyride. So, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was so fortunate because that was my first book, and, and it really kind of, it lit a fire under publishers. Like, we had a, we had a bidding war, and um, when we finally uh, landed at, at Warner, um, my agent at the time said, I'm, I'm going to submit this to the studios because this is like a movie, you know, and um, and New Line Cinema um, stepped forward and bought the rights to it. And then about, you know, literally like two weeks later, they called my agent and they said, we're thinking about sending this to George Romero. And <laughs> and my agent, Peter oh my Miller, God, yeah. he called me up immediately and he goes, what if I told you? <laughs> <laughs> And it was, and he was. It was so cool. It came together really quickly. And and I'll I'll tell you one uh, other quick anecdote. Um, I, of course, you know, glommed onto it. I'm like, well, can I co-write it with George? Because George was going to write the adaptation. I'm like, can I co-write it? And the studios, like, you know, they came back to us and and they said, okay, since Jay's never really had a major screenplay produced we'll we'll let jay co-write it with george but we want a third writer on board and and my agent's like fine yeah whatever i'm like fine whatever it takes yeah whatever it takes so the whole group we all got together at george's house in florida and i spent a week at george's house in florida oh my god sanibel island it was the one of the greatest weeks of my life dude i can imagine like an idol that you grew up you know Oh looking my God. up to and idolizing, and now you're just hanging out at his house in Sanibel yeah. Island, smiling for a week straight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I frightened him because you know he would be he'd be like his producer <laughs> Peter Grunwald would be you know he he and, and George would be there working with us you know and George would go yeah I don't even remember that film I mean I think I quit smoking on that and I'd be like uh, <laughs> no George you quit smoking on Day of the Dead. <laughs> he'd look at me and, he'd go, and then he'd look at his producer and he'd go who is this kid who is this creep <laughs> that's yeah, awesome and by the way George you had to have your, your lucky scarf with you the whole time on that film because you were like chewing on it because you had quit smoking <laughs> and he's like okay I'm becoming a little uh, alarmed that this kid is in my house that's so <laughs> cool Right, was tinkly. He's going to murder me out of respect. (laughs) But you know, he. But we we were sitting there. This is the last you know part of it. Part I'll tell you, but it's kind of interesting. I think you'll find it interesting. So we're we're sitting there working on the working on the 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 script. It's coming together. It's on. It's a green lit project. You know, it has a budget. It's it's we're moving forward. It's going to go into production in a couple of months, and we're working on it. And the phone rings. And the producer answered the phone, and he got and he I, I overheard him, and he's like, "No, I haven't heard of that. Is it in pre-pro? Oh, it's it's going into production next month. Okay, what's it called again? All right, well, I haven't heard of it. But I'll ask I'll ask these guys. Oh, so he no. hangs up the phone, and he goes, 
has anybody heard of this film that's over at uh, you know Universal? It's called Speed. Mm. And <laughs> oh my god, almost new, like right then, like I it, it was almost like one of those things where you just go, wah wah. Ah. <laughs> no, you know. The writing is on the wall, what it means. You know the meaning of it. You know what's going to happen. You see the whole, you know, arc of what is about to happen. And sure enough, you know, it went into turnaround within a couple of months. It, we, it, we couldn't get it off the ground after that because, you know, there was a movie about a perpetual motion thriller. You yeah, know, about that's insane. Yeah. But, you know, and so anyway, oh. I always tell that story to people and they go, yeah, but yours was like supernatural. Like, you know. It's sort of like this. The setup is, the, you know, when you start reading the book, the the first line is of the book is, you know, the voice came over the CB radio in the middle of the night, and it said, "Help me, help me, somebody! I can't stop." Oh. And that's the first sentence of the book. And you know, these truckers are like, Who, "This this kid's on drugs or something." He said he can't stop. <laughs> and, so then they start going, what does he want us to do? Like refuel him while he's in, you know, moving? And, and so they get back to him and he's like, yeah, I need you to refuel me while I'm moving. And, and they're like, <laughs> could he do that? Is that even possible? You know, and they start betting each other. I'll bet you a hundred bucks you can't do that. And the trucker, you know, the, the, the guy's driving is like, I, I bet. Okay, I'll take that bet. I bet yeah. I can do it. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's how the story That's starts. great. Is that book still in print, Jay? Yeah, it's still it's available um, in digital form, uh, and I think it might be even available in like print on demand. But it's available um, through Crossroad Press. So if you if you look up online Crossroad Press, um, cool. you'll find uh, a lot of my back catalog available digitally, um, and that's one of them. That's one of them. We'll that's be available. sure to. Post that. That's uh, good to know. Yeah, on social. So if, if I, I was looking access, for then. a copy of this book and I couldn't find it. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 hard to find in print. I mean, you know, they're 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 floating around, but you know, they're on like you know eBay. But yeah. Um, but digital book is is you know it, I mean it, it's it's like a buck ninety nine or something. You know, it's 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 definitely available. You know, and it's it has been for years. I'm lucky that it's still you can still at least read it digitally. Um, and and who knows? It might get made into a movie someday. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Cool. You know, uh, Jay. I noticed that a lot of your early books were serial killer, like profiler based. Yep. Now, is that something? What got you into that direction? Well, was it, it we, you and I? We already discussed Silence of the Lambs. Was it that yeah. sort of thing, or? Well, it was. It was. It was. It, Yes, Silence of the Lambs it has been a big influence. Thomas Harris, who's the author who wrote the the you know the Hannibal Lecter books, the Clarice Starling books, yep. um, he's a huge influence on me stylistically, you know, um, narratively. The guy, the guy's a genius. He's still publishing books, and they're still amazing, um, and they're really disturbing and scary. And highly recommend them. But one of his early books, I think it was his. His second book is called Red Dragon. Yep. That, yep. That's what yeah. sucked hook into me. I, I had never read anything like it. It's It, it was really uh, steeped in Mindhunter lore, you know, because it was it came out in the 80s. 
uh, he he spent you know, Harris spent time with the behavioral science unit at the FBI. He and nobody had ever read anything like it before. Yeah, and it was definitely in the timeline of of you know when the movie ended up being being made. It you know I feel like the X Files wouldn't have existed had that happened, and it really kind of springboarded that that whole like East Coast Langley like serial killer. Uh, yeah, you know, like yeah. That's definitely love definitely. that culture. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and the, you know, there's two. I don't know if you know your listeners might not be aware. There's two versions of it on film. Um, there's one called called uh, Manhunter, and that was a Michael Mann film from the '80s. Yeah, and, and we actually talked about that on our first podcast, and we were we we watched that and Silence of the Lambs back to back. We did a whole um, in depth portion on um, on his shorts William Peterson's purple shorts yeah they're very short in that <laughs> film <laughs> like if you go back and watch it it's almost jarring how short those shorts are <laughs> you're um, right you're right well so one thing uh, so we definitely want to jump into some of the Walking Dead stuff um, you know that's such a critical we've piece. been putting it off it's like we just yeah we can't wait just been uh, my leg's been shaking and now that I've said the the words the Walking Dead it stopped shaking I've gotten it out of my system but so when so when you know like at what juncture did you get involved and you know how how did you uh, get involved what was it, what was that like well you know my I I, I I often wish I had a charming kind of meet cute kind of story to tell about how I got involved you know and you know I I stumbled over this guy at a grocery store and it turns out he was I spilled a bunch of red Cairo syrup all over him and it was Robert Kirk I wish I had some kind of but, but it's not it it's really, not like that <laughs> it's not yeah it didn't happen like that it was very prosaic in a way how it happened because my agent um his name's Andy Cohen. He he was good friends with another manager, agent, producer type named David Albert. And David Albert is is a is a is the executive producer of the Walking Dead TV show. And he also is Robert Kirkman's manager and partner, you know, and sort of, you know, he's he's sort of the the the, the business guy uh behind Skybound and and uh he had a company called Circle of Confusion at the time and they were producing the show um and robert was an executive producer on the show and the show hadn't when when my agent had lunch with david alpert he you know david alpert literally said yeah we're looking for a horror writer and i and i i asked i asked andy several times did he actually say that Did he say that? <laughs> because it was music to my, it was one of the greatest things i've ever heard in my life we're looking for a horror writer Nobody He's a horror says dad. Do you know anyone yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's how I got hooked up with it, and and, I, and there were like four or five other authors that were vying for it. It wasn't it wasn't easy. I think maybe what pulled the trigger on on me getting the job was the Romero connection. Did you sell that? Did yeah. you push it? Like, hey, me and me and Romero were buds. Yes, I, I. Well, I. First of all, I'm shameless. I'll use anything I can to get a job. Yes, yeah, you have and, to be. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I realized that there were these four other writers, and they and they were all really, you know, well versed and good, and and you know, able bodied writers that would probably get the job. So finally, you know, it, it had just gone on so long. I was just. I couldn't sleep at night. I wanted it so bad because I was learning more and more about the TV show, and I was reading the comic books, and I'm like. This is genius. Yeah, I want and, in on this. Gonna, yeah, that's amazing. 
the show hadn't premiered yet. This is back in 2009. But I'm like, Frank Darabont is the show. <laughs> you know, Gail Ann Hurd is producing it. And, you know, Greg Nicotero is doing the makeup. Oh, and it's he, on AMC. Yeah. You know, it sounded like. Oh, it was I mean, gonna, it's a dream. You know, yeah. Yeah, the Citizen Kane of zombies. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, it pretty much is, yeah. Yeah, it pretty much is. But, you know, so I, I finally pull, I played the Romero card. I, I just couldn't re- I'm like, tell him I have George Romero on my speed dial. Just just say those exact words. <laughs> just put that in an email. <laughs> tell him I stayed at yeah. his house for a week. <laughs> right. I know all about his, uh, his lucky scarf, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I used every bathroom in his house. <laughs> I got high with George Ferris. <laughs> those very words. Amazing. So, can you talk a little bit about the process of um, so and you know leading up to this, we sort of talked a little bit about how the Walking Dead has been so. There's such an appetite for commoditizing everything in the United States, obviously, right and. Um, right. There's such a, a hunger to like make as much money as you can from something, and I feel like Robert Kirkman has been able to masterfully um, kind of hedge that and and yeah. only invite contributors that create extreme value, like the books that you've done uh, are well, amazing. Yeah. So h- how how was that relationship w- when it came to like actually writing the content? Um, and you're like- spot on. You're totally spot on. I mean, I I thought I was going to get a script. And I was going to do what's known in the business as a novelization. And there's no, there's no shame in doing those. And there's nothing wrong with them, you know. But they are kind of looked down upon as sort of, you know, kind of folk art. Because all you're doing is basically novelizing something that's already written. And, you know, I figured, well, that's probably – I'll get in and get out. And the show will be on for one season. And, and I'll make a few bucks. And, you know, I'll have fun. And I, so I said to Kirkman the first time I talked to him. I said, so uh, are you going to you know, send me a script? And there's this long pause, and he goes, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing here. <laughs> That's and so I cool. Said, really? And he, and he goes, yeah, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to do a novelization. We're, we're going to do a full-blown literary novel. We, we, these, these have to stand on their own. He said, you know, the first one I want to be, you know, the rise of the governor. I wanted to I wanted to be about this guy and how some guy, you know, that's just a, you know, just a blue collar mechanic from Macon, Georgia, you know, with a wife and kid, you know, how he becomes this, you know, scary dictatorial, you know, you know, thug running a town, you know, and I want to see how he gets from A to B to C to D. And I'm like. Oh my God, this is going to be fascinating. It just kept getting more and more fascinating, you know? And, and then I, the way he and I worked together was Robert would give me this like, you know, eight, nine, 10, sometimes as many as 12 page outline, but that was it. It was, it was, it was very, um, you know, sparse and it was very conversational and he would say, you know, they start out here. And then they, they, they cross the city and they end up here and one of them dies. And, Jay, I'm sure it'll be exciting and you'll find, figure out a great way for them to die. Fill in the blanks. Yeah. And, you know, That's and, and so had, cool. Yeah, I had this basic outline. And, then, and, and also I got along really well with Kirkman. And he's not, he's not an easy person to get along. He's very 
he's a perfectionist and he's very, you know, um, I even said to him once, I said, you know, I heard you, you could be a real dick and <laughs> I find you're like a pussycat to work with. And he goes, he goes, this is, this is, this should tell you everything you need to know about Kirkman. He goes, well, if you weren't doing an acceptable job, I'd become a dick right away. <laughs> you, like, you would know. Okay, message received. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, but, but I, at the beginning, he, he said, why don't you send me 50-page chunks? And I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, I sent him, I, I finished 50 pages working off his outline, and I got it, man. I, 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 it was just a world that I had lived in since I, I was nine years old and snuck into that theater. You know, I knew the, the slow-moving zombie apocalypse. I understood it. I got it. I knew, I wrote it in present tense and, and and you know by that time i had 18 novels in print so i knew how to write a novel but i wanted this to be a special kind of novel you know that would be in your face and just brutal and moving forward all the time and and it is you know, yeah. anybody die so any, good any, yeah you know and there and, there, and there's really horrific stuff like rape and and you know just horrifying stuff but it's all done in the service of normal people just making bad decisions, you know, or everyday people becoming heroes almost accidentally. And I got this whole thing. And I like sent him Stephen 50 King. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Stephen yep. King is, is definitely, you know, I kept hearing rumors he was going to direct an episode. I don't think he ever did, but um, he, but uh, I gave him 50 pages and he, he gets back to me and he goes, uh, yeah, uh, I only have one, uh, one edit, one change. I'm like, wow, fantastic. But then I figured, <laughs> start over again, you idiot. You know, <laughs> massive change. And he goes, on page 17, you have, uh, Philip has a, has a tattoo and we can't have that because we see him shirtless in the comic book and there's no tattoos. Uh. That was it. That well, was the only change. I'm like, okay, this is. All right, this is, this is good. Uh, I'll give you another fifty. Yeah. So you wrote this, Jay, before the show came out. Yes. This was just based on the comics at that point. Yep, and and it took a year uh, for the novel to be completed and put into production, and it came out at the end of the first season. So it came out. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. As so. the first season came to an end, then the book came out at the you know it was sort of at the outset okay. of season yeah. two. So the, the, the character hadn't even been introduced to the show at that point. Um, it, it, it coincided. I, I wrote I wrote eight books for The Walking Dead over the course of seven years, and every year a new book would come out at the beginning of of a season. So, gotcha. Yeah. So when the you know the governor book came out at the beginning at the advent of season two. So you're right. The governor had not been introduced yet. So it was it was really great for like super fans of the show. By that point, they sure. were they were around. You know, people were really discovering it. And that book was. I'm still to this day so proud of that book. It's it's one of you know I've written thirty books, but it's it's probably up there in the top you know three or four books that I've written that I'm most proud of. You know, it's we Robert and I spent the most time working on that one. That was. That was sort of the Rosetta Stone. Yeah, it's the framework. Yeah, it is the framework exactly. David Morrissey used it to create this weird simulacrum of you know Philip and Brian. You know, people people who have not read the book. You know, I'll, I'll say this to any listener who hasn't read it yet. 
um, I won't spoil it, but there's a twist at the end and you kind of find out who the governor really is. And in most viewers of the TV show, I haven't read this book. They, they don't, don't really... even know. Yeah. And they're thinking, you know, well, uh, yeah, David Morrissey, he's a cool, he's a good actor and everything, but I, I didn't recognize the governor. He was playing some, somebody else. Well, there's a reason for that. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> did the did the writers of the show engage you much as as they developed? Yeah, did they did Is they any relation? Yeah, did they write the character they, based they, off your characterization no, of him? They did not. They didn't tell me when they were going to do it. They just stole my shit and put it in the show. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I, we, we like, for instance, we'd be just my wife and I'd be watching it, and there'd be a scene that they took from one of the books. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's from book two, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like so excited. I don't mean to sound like sour grapes. I think it was a, it was fantastic, you know, but I didn't I, I wasn't told, you know, they weren't like, hey, we love that scene where he you know, does this and that we're going to use it. I was never told, you know, because I because I was a writer for hire. I, I didn't. Yeah. Even if I came up with the the gag or as they say in horror, if I came up with it. They would use it, but they, they didn't really have to tell me because it, it was canon. It was part of Robert's canon, you know, so they could use anything. I, I was a I was being paid a fee. You know, I, I was and, and, I, and I have no problem with that. I am. I'm proud of it. And, you know, even after the four governor books it, for the again, for the list, listeners not familiar with these books, because there's a lot of fans out there that don't even know these books exist. The first four were about the rise and fall of that character, the governor. And, uh, and they're really granular explorations of how this, you know, just average guy becomes this uber villain, you know, and, but then Robert, after the fourth book, Robert's like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to hire you to write four more. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's fantastic. You know? And I, I was just celebrating everything. And he goes, and I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna have you come up with stories. I'm like, oh my god, that's even better. That's unbelievable, you know. And then he goes, all I ask is that you write basically a chronicle of what happens in Woodbury after the little town that the governor, you know, sort of tyrannically sure. led to, to hell and back. Um, just Bite write these four books about what happens in Woodbury. Cause the fans are going to wonder the comic book just leaves Woodbury in the dust. You never revisit it. The show leaves Woodbury. You never see yeah, the town right. again. That's incredible. So, so it's like Knights of the living dead. It's those, uh, little, little, yeah. uh, bite sized yeah. pieces of a much larger thing. That's cool. Exactly. And, and I, you know, I, 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 you, you know, I, I, I came up with certain characters that, you know, became canon and they were used in video games. And I'm really proud of that fact that some of the characters, you know, that are in the video games are, are from my, my, you know, second quartet of books that were just my own, you know, take on Woodbury. And, um, there's this woman named Lily call and she, she's the dr engine, you know, with in, 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 in those books, she drives those books. She, she becomes, sort of the, the, the doppelganger of the governor, only she's a decent person. You know, ah. she, she has a heart and she rules the thing, you know, you know, d diplomatically and, and, and democratically. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it was fascinating. The whole thing was fascinating, man. It yeah. just, the, humans the finding their way. Yeah. It, it sounds 
you know, corny, but it's true. I'll cherish it the rest of my life. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate, you know, everybody that had anything to do with it. And I became really close friends with people like David Morrissey and, you know, um, Melissa Hutchison, who's the voice of Clementine in the Telltale Games. We, oh, right. we became yeah. friends. And I, I was a consultant on one of the Telltale Get One time, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a oh, little bit. Oh, it's good, but, man. Uh, Kirkman, you know, Kirkman's like this big bear of a guy from Kentucky. And he, you know, he suffers fools really poorly. <laughs> and he's just no nonsense, no BS kind of guy. So he just comes up to me one day when I was out in L.A. working on stuff. And he goes, oh, Jay. Uh, you, he almost says this like over his shoulder as he's walking past me. You're going to get your wish. And then he just he just walks on. Left it at that. The corner. <laughs> so then all afternoon I'm thinking, I'm, what, what, is, wish? what is he talking about? <laughs> what wish? Like Am I pacing outside? And, like, what is this? Yeah. It's a little bit like, you know, Howard Hughes saying to you, oh, uh, yeah, I got some money for you. <laughs> you know, you're like, what the hell is he talking about? And so finally we had a meeting and he's like, um, Telltale's going to do a mini series video game called Michonne. And, and I had always told him, you know, my favorite character is Michonne. I'd love to write, you know. Agreed. That's I got my to favorite character, little, too. Yeah. And I got to write a little bit about her. In, in a couple of the, the governor books, but she just sort of intersected with that story. She wasn't really, it wasn't a, a you know, a really creative take on Michonne, but the, you know, I got to sit in and, and kind of consult, um, because I, I was a guy who knew, I knew the, the environment. I knew the rules of the road of the walking dead. I knew the, you know, the canon. Yeah. What was what was allowed and what was not allowed by that point, you know, so he told them, you know, just have Jay in the room. It's like me having me in the room. And I just was sort of a consultant. Those guys are brilliant. It's a shame that they I don't even know if that company exists anymore. But uh, those guys that did those Telltale games, they they were amazing. Those were great games. Yeah, I played some of the Walking Dead and some of the Game of Thrones ones that they did. Did, did you ever play uh, a mobile game called um, The Road to Survival? I, I did not, but I know it. I do know it exists. I co-wrote that. Oh, okay. I'll have to download it. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to play yeah, it. Now. It's a free download. Uh, it's it's a free download. It's a lot of fun. There's, Road to I, Survival. The Road to Survival. Gotcha. Yeah. The Road to Survival, and and you know, there's like ten iterations of it, or something like that. It's been really popular. Um, but yeah, give it a try. It's, it's a lot of fun. I will. So Jay, we're going to get into the, the top three favorite zombie films of yours. But before we do that, I have to touch on one thing. Um, it's sure. interesting that you said, it, I found it so interesting that you wrote the governor's backstory because the, the one thing about the walking dead is as you watch it, you always wonder like, what, how did this guy start out? Like, you know, like Negan, for instance, like how the fuck did this guy start off Yeah, and turn into such an evil, you know, shithead. Um, yeah. so it, when I found out that this book exist existed, I couldn't wait to read it. Um, and it's like, you couldn't do that in the show because it would become lost essentially right? Uh, with all the flashbacks. But the, so you already mentioned that you had no input on the governor. <clears throat> the writers of the show had no, they didn't consult you at all. But right. I was wondering, so as we're watching it, he says to uh, Andrea at one point in, 
as she comes into Woodbury, she asks his real name, and he says, I'll never tell you. And then he tells right. her his name's Philip. And she says, you said you would never tell me your real name. And he says, uh, you know, you said never say never. And so instantly I was like, well, this is clever as hell because he's not telling her his real name. Right. But then when right. he comes back in that fourth season, he starts using the name Brian. Right. So I yeah. was, but now that you're telling me that they didn't consult you, I'm like, well, what the hell? You well, know, it's, yeah, it's got to be a nod of sorts. They had to have. Well, yeah, it, they, it's more than a nod because um, David, you know, one time at, at a convention, I think it was in San Francisco, um, one of my friends came running over to my my table where I was selling books and autographing books and stuff, and he goes, "Dude, you got it. You got to get over. You got to get over to the stage." David Morrissey's talking about you, <laughs> you know, and I was like, <laughs> all right, now, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, I said to my wife, I'll be right back. <laughs> you know, I ran yeah. over there Sprinting. and he literally was, he said, you know, he was being asked, do you, do you read the comic book? And he goes, um, I don't read the comic book. I haven't read the comic book. I don't want to see the, uh, visual analog of the guy I'm playing. But I, I read uh, more than once The Rise of the Governor by Jay Boninsinga and Robert Kirkman. That book became, you know, sort of my my foundation of building this guy. And I couldn't believe it. I, I really. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. But then it, it he he, you know, it was it was proven to me over the next season because, you know, like there was I'm sure you remember that episode where he and Rick are kind of having their, their sort of sit down, the sit down yeah, in their the, negotiation yeah, in the shack. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jill and I are watching it and he starts talking about his wife and how she died. And I'm like, this is from the book. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's and, so cool. And that just started it. He used bits and pieces of it all over the place. You know, the, 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 my name is Brian. It's just one of the little, you know, bits and pieces that came from the books. It was really lovely. I didn't, I, you know, I, you know, my agent's like, yeah, it's a shame you don't get paid for that. You know? And I'm like, I don't care. I mean, it's, it's being used by this brilliant actor. Yeah. And I was really proud of that. I was really proud. And, you know, I became really close friends with the guy. Cause he's, 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 uh, he's, he's very cool. That's great. I mean, yeah. that, that, character is so well played it's funny because that, that was one of those things i never noticed when i first watched it. i didn't you know you would never even think like it's just like he's using a different name but then after reading that novel i was like well holy shit yeah it makes yeah. sense there's some lore yeah. to it um all right yeah. so so jay in advance we kind of were talking to you a little bit about um your favorite uh favorite zombie movies so wanted to touch on a couple of those and you uh you gave us a few um <laughs> And all of had you seen? Had you guys seen all those, or were, were, did you? Did you? You probably. I mean, I'm assuming you. I know. I know you've seen Zombieland. Yeah, we we have both seen all of them. Um, That's what I thought. That's what I figured. At, yeah. At varying stages in life. Because you're horror dads. Because we're horror dads. Um, so the first you gave <laughs> us, though, I guess we can go kind of like chronologically. We'll just touch on these. Um, right. Each a little bit here, but the first you gave us was a. Uh, 1978 uh george romero um dawn of the dead um so this movie is great uh it's definitely one of my my favorites in that in that space um yeah and it's really like re-watching it again i i found that i had this uh box set um lost in my 
uh, horror film collection. Um, and I had like the U.S. theatrical release, the U.S. extended version, the uh, European release, the document. <laughs> it, it was, uh, there were like five discs in this set I had. Um, but started to really dig in and 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 watching it again, realized like five minutes into the into the film. They, uh, Romero, like he addresses classism, he addresses racism, he addresses uh, consumerism. Right. Uh, that that wooly right. character in the beginning is 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 sort of a uh, um, a governor esque sort of presence where he, right. uh, you know, he 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 can't help himself. He gets the taste of blood of like uh, going after these uh, these zombies, and he's he's the racist. Uh, a hole really and and he gets right. in there and they have to kind of like unseat his power but um definitely definitely a great film um when when did you first see this movie uh i saw it believe it or not i saw it in in a revival theater it probably was you know maybe uh, i was i was a freshman um at michigan state university and i it might have been you know the following year it, it came out again it was you know i i consider it one of the great indie films ever made you know and and the fact that he it was the first film that he worked with you know dario argento and right and uh i didn't you know, realize Go- that until re-watching it this this past yeah. through like yeah dario incredible argento, yeah and goblin you know the reason that goblin did the music to it was because of dario and uh and it's just, it's, I mean, you know, this is, this might scare off some horror fans, but I, it, it's scary. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's, it's hip, it's hypnotic. It's mesmerizing, but it's also like on the level of like, you know, Mark Twain or, you know, Jonathan Swift in in its satire of, 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 yeah. Oh, it definitely has elements of satire. For I mean, even like that's George for you. Yeah. yeah. The the music yeah. the music uh, in itself, like at moments, it was like watching so cheerful. Yeah, an episode of like yeah. Magnum <laughs> PI almost. You're like you feel good and you're smiling watching this movie about this like horrifying pandemic, uh, and it's it's so so good and and the characters are smiling and. Um, I, it's just super well acted, and Tom Savini yeah. in it too. Uh, we're both big Tom Savini fans, and all the stuff he's done. Yeah, Savini. Um, you know, this it's it 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 lays out the the blueprint for for R- Romero's, you know, uh, oeuvre. You know, it's it lays it out. This it's it's the seminal film. It lays out the, you know, the blueprint for for zombie you know films to come for generations because, you know, there's. Usually there's some humor in the best zombie films and the films that I chose that are my favorite. I realized after I chose them, God, all these are kind of dark comedies. Oh, yes. And you know, so so uh, speaking of that, we can we can segue to the next one that you, you selected, which is uh, uh, another one that is uh, in, in doing a lot of research on it. Some people were referring to it as a, a straight horror film, but I never interpreted it no as way. such. Yeah. Uh, but 1985, yeah. uh, Dan O'Bannon's uh, Return of the Living Dead. So, right, J- Jamie and, really and, loves know, this movie. Not a straight up horror film, right? no. <laughs> yeah, and 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 uh, you know, it, it, it's it, it has, uh, you know, trademarks that a lot of people don't remember or realize. Like, for instance, this is the only place in literature, in film, in any medium 
where zombies love brains. It's the only. Yeah, it's, it's the, the only the part only of the body they want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's become canon for zombie, you know, lovers. Right now, so everyone just associates that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really it reinvented the rules. Uh, super difficult to kill. It's not just like a straight like. Uh, right. Yeah, you couldn't just take the brain yeah. out. Right. 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 Uh, and they eat brains instead of flesh. It's and I hilarious. love how they cement that right at the beginning. Like, the rules are right. different here. And it's hilarious yeah. too, like the almost like Breakfast Club dynamic of the oh of the punk kids, yeah, yeah. The, the crew yeah. coming in in the, in the beginning. And there are certain kids in the clique. You're like, what the hell is that person doing involved right. with? <laughs> like, why are they here? I know. I think there's. I think there's a moment in the film where, um, you know, you know, t- the two main characters in the in the mortuary, you know, the workers, they're 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 like, wait a minute. This is not how it's supposed to go down. This is not. This is not in the movie. Yeah, it's and, super and like they, meta. They, the other guy, the other kid goes, the movie lied. Yeah, <laughs> the like, movie lied? Lied? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I also, I love the, the character names too. Uh, Spider. Bert and Ernie. Uh, yeah, right, oh, yeah. Bert and Ernie. Those guys. Yeah. But the, the kids in the clique are like. Scuzz and scuzz, trash. Uh, trash. What's that one suicide. dude's name? Suicide, yeah. yeah. <laughs> suicide. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's brilliant though. Some of the some of the you know the bits and the, O'Bannon. I think O'Bannon was a genius. I mean he he's the guy who pretty much created Alien, Dan O'Bannon. You know this guy was not a lightweight. He right he right. Was, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant writer and director. He went to school with John Carpenter. He was in that. I don't know if you guys oh, have wow. ever seen that film Dark Star. Yeah, that but, was his Carpenter's first film. Yeah, I remember seeing right. that in college. O'Bannon plays one of the astro, you know, one of the one of the the space uh, jockeys in that. Oh, it's that's awesome! Hilarious. But um, but yeah, but uh, it it has some brilliant stuff like the the butterflies tacked to the wall who come, you know, spontaneously regenerate and oh yeah, fog and you know, it's really a, an amazing film to this day. It's 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 dated a little bit, like you know, you, it feels a little eighties. But that almost adds to it for That's me. That's what I love I, about it. Yeah, yeah. it's very rooted in exactly. nostalgia for sure. You know, what's funny is I was reading something maybe on IMDb that uh, Dan O'Bannon paid the zombie extras a bonus if they would eat live calf brains. <laughs> oh my god! Not li- not live, but actual calf brains. Right. And then, so to prove to them that he wouldn't ask them to do anything that he wouldn't do, he ate some in front of them. <laughs> like that's how like so this dude was someone yeah. who cares. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was doing some research too and found that uh, there was a George Romero link here. So I guess um, John Russo wrote wrote the book, and he was yeah. part of Night of the Living Dead with George. Night of the Dead, yeah. yeah, which is how he was able to retain like that. The because as a kid, I always thought this was part of that that family, right? But clearly, this is not a Romero film, um, right? As you look at it now, but. Uh, I, I didn't realize that that link existed. And then I also read that Toby Hooper was the one initially slated or selected to direct this film. Um, yep. Yep. Which is a... I know. I read that. I read that. He had that. a confliction, also, I believe, right? You know, I don't know if... The, if again, I, I don't know if this is common knowledge, but um, George Romero kind of got screwed uh, uh, with, by the uh, releasing company and the, the distributor on um night of the living dead you know because it, it it turned a lot of money and george didn't see any of it you uh, know he, uh, 
he really got screwed by that. In fact, so much that he that years later, he and Tom Savini made a color version of it, merely just to make some money off of, you know, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, I remember shame. that. Yeah. I, I own you know, both the versions. color. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was it was in public domain. I mean, it was such a bad deal oh, uh, that he. You know, it is really sad. It's and and you know, it's it's how Dan O'Bannon can use, you know, Return of the Living Dead as a title because it was in public domain. You know, it's just there were like you know versions of it in grocery stores and stuff. It, it was really, you know, it's really it's it's a shame. But but then you know when DVDs came into uh, prominence, um, he got rights back and he he released a a cleaned up beautiful remastered version and it's you know there there are versions out there now there's a criterion i mean there's like versions that are beautiful and uh so anyway um awesome yeah, yeah i mean it, that 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 movie is great and i love just being able to like know and experience the the history of its association it's just it's that's a cool Cool pick. Really love that movie. Cool, cool. And Jay, so Jay, what's your last pick here that you had? Uh, your third one, Zombieland. Zombieland. Um, Two thousand. Yeah, we just watched it again last night, Jamie and I. Um, this movie. We forgot how funny that movie God, was. Man. It's, fun. it's so super good. fun. Oh, there's so many lines in that movie. There's so many great lines. Yeah. It, and your list. I have to say, your list is so good. It's so eclectic and. Thank you. You know, we good. weren't sure if it was going to be like. Oh, this guy worked with George Romero. It's just gonna be three George Romero zombie films. You know, like. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, uh, Zombieland, I think is brilliant. I, I think everything oh, it really about is, it is yeah. brilliant. Have it's you just... seen the second one yet? I haven't. I haven't seen it. No, we it haven't yet. either. Have you seen it? No, no. Yeah, I, I, I hear it's good. I, I hear it's it's just as good. Yeah, it's, I've heard good things. Which is, yeah, I've heard good which things is about weird. It. You know, it's <clears throat> it's weird to me that ten years later that still resonates. Yeah, I know it. It's it was I I think each of these movies also just not I'm not trying to glorify this, you know, this three film list, but each of them is kind of a movie of its day. Exactly. You know? That's why I like to the list. Totally yeah. agree. And yeah. it represents three decades, three different right. like sets of priorities. Because people's perceptions of zombies change throughout the decades and the years and you've you've hit on three movies that perfectly articulate the artist's vision at that time. Right, right, and and every and you know the the Zombie Land is like a perfect sort of time capsule of that you know the aughts you know that that time and it's it's you know it just the the casting and the acting it's, you know it's just brilliant oh, I really God, love it I I love you know it's you know zombies zombies are environmental to me they're they're part of the environment they're not like making a movie about a vampire. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can do a lot with vampires or you can do a lot with, you know, you know like what we do in the shadows. Oh, yeah. One, <laughs> one of my so favorite genius. movies. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So it's genius. And, you know, it just goes to show you can do, you know, really cool, new, fresh stuff with all these archetypes. But but zombies are one of the archetypes that are they, they're unlike vampires and, and you know um uh ghosts uh you know werewolves all these other horror archetypes ha are differentiated they have personalities they they have they have will that zombies are like a part of the environment they're they're they're, they're the witches yeah. yeah they're they're and so they because of that they allow you to 
go anywhere you want. You know, you it, that that's the beauty. That's that's the beauty of what Robert did with them. You know, Robert created uh, to me, Robert Kirkman created this study of society using zombies. Oh, yeah, because absolutely. That's what that is. 100 percent. That's what Walking Dead is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's just we were talking about this a couple days ago, but the the environments that are created from these from these stories are really they're internalizing and you and, and you find yourself in this this area of discord and you have a decision to make yeah. uh and it's like all right i i can be oppressive i could be i can get in line i could follow i can you know you wipe this the slate clean and it's like what attributes am i going to have now in this in this new world order right in this right. new this right. new environment and it really what person will I be? Yeah, and all these yeah. stories have this very telling, um, this very telling demonstration of like what you know what is not necessarily popular, but like what is being depicted from that time frame. And right, it's funny in Zombieland. We were talking last night as we were watching it. Um, they they don't make any effort in that film to conserve ammunition. <laughs> They're like right. you know like rampantly just shooting it up into the sky. Um, and we took note like an hour and five minutes into that film, um, excluding like flashbacks and stuff like that. There had only been four actual zombies until the end where it like bubbles up and they, they're at the theme park and it uh, sort of unloads. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to, to see the, the variance of, of what's being depicted in those times. Yeah. When you start, like John and I really dove in these past two weeks and we're just been like, immersed in zombies and zombie culture and zombie movies and it's so different you know to watch these different movies and watch the way that they depict just the situations that they're in like you know like right. he said zombie land you see like five zombies through the first hour and like you see you know quadruple that in the first five minutes of an episode of walking dead right you know right. so it's like it's right. just so crazy to see the different uh, depictions yeah. of zombies yeah now, yeah, I, I mean, when when I was writing the books, I and I I got teased uh, by people on the crew and in the cast occasionally for this, but I I was obsessed with what they smell like because huh. I, you I'm know, like, I noticed that that you really you put a lot of like, but oh, seriously, God, I like, feel like I can smell them that, when I'm reading though. that book. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'm proud of that because you know I. It's it's something I learned very early on as a writer that, you know, you really try to uh, – David Morrell calls it triangulating the senses. Like you you, you really like to set a, set a scene with, you know, not just the visual that you're looking you're in your mind's eye as you're reading, you're, you're visualizing it. But also, you know, the sound of it, the, the smell of it, the texture of it. The more yeah. you do that – in your scene setting, you know, the, the, to me, the scarier a story is going to be because you're just a reader's drawn into it. But I got obsessed with it. You know, I was like, well, if one zombie smells like that, what would like a hundred in a herd? Was it UJ that said they smelled like burnt bacon and shit? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That, thank uh, you. That visual to me was like, Oh God. (laughs) That's one of my, uh, my uh, best, be, you know, best moments. When really. I read that, I smiled. I was like, "This fucking guy, <laughs> burnt bacon and shit." Like I, you know, I, I wasn't <laughs> surrounded by those two things. I couldn't smell them, but like I smelled them in that moment. It was so good, dude. I remember one time I said to to David, to Da, uh, the executive producer. You know, I'm like, "Wouldn't these 
wouldn't these bodies just deteriorate after, you know, like a week outdoors? (laughs) Yeah. And he said, um, yeah, you know, we don't like to get too much into the science. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like, I get it. I get it. (laughs) So, Uh, Jay, of these three films, which is your favorite? Oh, my God. I'm so glad you asked me that because um, it's not my Romero connection. It's not the fact that I, you know, idolize George or anything. I think Dawn of the Dead is is really like one of the most fascinating films ever made. I, I'll put it up there. You know, it's for me, it's just it's in the pantheon. It's <clears throat> I love the whole setting of the of the mall. The mall yeah. seems so resonant yeah. and so perfect. And and just the scene where they're looking out over the mall and the in the you know they're seeing all these zombies shambling back and forth and they're like why do they come here why do they come here they must they're have really... a connection to this place or something it says yeah <laughs> <laughs> used to, yeah right yeah they used it's a place that made them feel good they used to come here and it made them feel good it it's it says so much about us you know and you know i just yeah. love it I, I it's it's one of my favorite films of all time you know I, it shaped me you know i i saw it when i was being imprinted and uh yeah that's 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 just that's you know when you know if, if you haven't seen it for a while i highly recommend watching it again uh with all the context of living in the year 2020 yeah because it's it's really it's riveting even it's, it's very it relevant right now yeah yeah well, cool. Jay, this has been so fun, man. Thank you so much. We couldn't appreciate you taking your time and being so humble and kind. You honestly made us feel like we were doing you a favor by letting us <laughs> interview you. But this... Aw, that's, that's really sweet. I appreciate it. You are doing me a favor. Any, oh. Anybody that just listens to me babble about this stuff, I, I, I love them and I appreciate it. And, that's you know, the reason we do so this much. is to, to talk talk about this kind of stuff. So thank yeah. you and Definitely. Love to have you on again. Yeah, uh, we'll get back with you, Jay. Cool. There's too much to talk about well, in one session. Yeah, yeah, would love to. Would love to. Thanks again, you guys. Well done. <laughs>